0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including our Commodore class. That's Commodore's Obvious. Misfit. Sean. DJ Jesus 72. Lee. David. Torso and Pinches Matt, the snarling sea dog, hangman strain, John, Sir Rancid Cheese, Shelby, Andrew, Axios, Vanderwood, Richard, Noah, Infamous Florida Man, Hartman, Skipper, the Sextant, Brian, Cap'n Crunch, Roger the Jolly, Vibran. Artemis Keel Keelhaul Chris, Carcos, Sean, Rotary Coast, M.D., Seth, Ghost 750X, Lost Again, The Navigator, Vasilos, Doc Lindsay, Pitlock, Ward, Workman, Chairboat, Gunsway Sally, Cannon Monkey, Rumrunner, Madame Anita Sparrow, Hefe, Bull, Vertigon, Rumgut, the Snarlin' Sea Dog, and Bootstrap Bailey. Hello. Welcome to the Pirate History Podcast. My name is Matt. Thank you for listening. A few weeks back, in episode 318, we began a look at the pirates of the Brigantine Pelican. I got a bit distracted, though, with the piracies in Virginia. I did so because of Thomas Howard, the quartermaster under pirate captain John James. Here's the thing, though. Howard might not have been aboard that ship at all. I think he was, but it's possible he wasn't. And that's a theme we're going to return to a lot today. There's a whole lot of, well, I think this is what happened, but maybe not. This is thanks to the sources we're working from. If I were a self-respecting historian writing a book, say, I wouldn't touch this story at all. So much of it is impossible to verify. Our sources just aren't great. See, this story does not end in a courtroom. There's no moment where you pull in the boatswain and the ship's carpenter into an admiralty court and ask them what happened. And they answer, on the record, presumably truthfully. There's also no good archaeological data. Nobody's ever dug up any of their treasure or found ships that could verifiably be linked to these pirates. Instead, our primary source for most of this is Captain Charles Johnson in A General History of the Pirates, Volume 2. I've got a dozen other books that talk about these piracies, but clearly they're all working from Johnson's initial text. There are additions and subtractions in all of those other works, and sometimes there are contradictions, you know. One writer says this, another writer says that. You have to square the difference. But it all comes from a book, written probably by a variety of different authors who were commissioned to write different chapters under the pseudonym Captain Charles Johnson, who almost certainly had nothing to do with the Charles Johnson who wrote the original work. That is to say, a lot of this is... I hesitate to say fictional, or made up, or lies... But, you know, kinda. We don't know where the author got their information. We can hope they were an investigative journalist going down to the docks, finding pirates who knew what really happened. But that's probably not the case. As such, certain parts of this story are kinda glossed over. You're gonna notice some of that today. We're moving very fast through years of piracy. Mainly because we don't have much information about what they really did. During those years, but as the story moves on, you're going to see fantastical scenes told in great detail, almost as if the author was right there on deck or was just trying to write a good story. With that in mind, though, I still think this story is worth telling, because the author, writing in the 1720s, knew very well that these pirates who did exist were a link between the pirates of the round of the 1690s and the pirates that would come to inhabit the Bahamas in the 1710s. This is episode 326, Diversion. You'll recall back from episode 318, the good Captain Lovering, a New England privateer who sailed against the French in the region. He captured the 18-gun, 800-ton ship Pelican. Among his crew were the master, Robert Colley, the gunner, George Booth, the cooper, Joseph Wheeler, and the bosun, Samuel Inless, and then we introduced a man who joined the crew late, named Nathaniel North, who eventually was elected quartermaster. Upon their return, Captain Lovering died of wounds sustained in battle in capturing the Pelican. There was a brief legal battle over the rights to the Pelican since it had originally in an English vessel, captured by the French and then recaptured by these English privateers. The privateers were permitted to keep the ship, though, and they elected a new captain in the person of Robert Colley. The governor of Rhode Island, where they were based, issued a new commission, on orders from the Admiralty, that they were to sail for Jamaica and reinforce the island's defenses. He noted, though, after the pelican set sail, that many of the men had stayed there in Providence. He asked some of these men why so many of them had decided to stick around, and they told him it was because of Robert Collie. They said Robert Collie wasn't going to sail for Jamaica, no. He was sailing for the Red Sea and a life of piracy. All of this happened back in about 1695 to 1696, but I'd like to begin today, in around 1700, with the life of a young man named John Bowen. John Bowen was born on the island of Barbados around 1680, and you'll often see him called a Creole. But in those old sources, I'm not exactly sure what they mean by Creole. In the 1700s, a Creole was still a person of European extraction who was born in the colonies. For example, Napoleon Bonaparte's first wife, Josephine, she was Creole, born on Martinique. And Creole at the time were almost uniformly white people. But today, Creole can refer to any number of ethno-linguistic groups all around the world. For example, the people of Madagascar, who are descended from English pirates and local Malagasy, are a Creole people. But, you know, they're mixed race. The reason I wonder about this is because a lot of pirates were born in the colonies. You know, Jamaica, Tortuga, that sort of thing. So there were a lot of Creole in the parlance of the times. And I wonder why such a big deal is made of it in regard to John Bowen. Regardless, though, he didn't spend too long on Barbados. When he was a young man, probably in his early teens, he moved to the province of Carolina. When war broke out, the Nine Years' War in 1688, he signed up aboard a king's ship, so, you know, probably a coastal war vessel for Carolina, and he served there as a petty officer. Now, let's turn our attention to another of the pirates I want to talk about today, Thomas White. You're going to notice here that there are some similarities between the story of John Bowen and Thomas White. Thomas White was born in Plymouth in about 1680. His mother owned a public house there, so he would have grown up around seafaring men on shore leave enjoying a drink. When the war broke out, he too signed up on board a king's ship, where he served as a midshipman. And when the war ended, he sailed for Barbados, where Thomas White married a local woman, got a job on board a local merchantman, and started a family— When the war ended for John Bowen, he returned to Carolina, where he married a local woman, got a job on board a merchant ship, and started a family. These are very similar stories. It's surprising that they're so similar, but, you know, not impossible. This was the life led by a lot of young men who lived through the Nine Years' War, a job on board a king's ship during the war, and a job on board a merchantman after. But then... In 1699, the ship on which John Bowen served was captured by French pirates, and then, in 1699, the ship on which Thomas White served was captured by French pirates. Which, a striking similarity, but in this case not a coincidence, because they were captured by the same French pirates. Now, we don't know who these pirates were. According to Captain Charles Johnson, whoever that really was, It is not my business to give here an account of this French pirate any farther than Captain White's story obliges me. Since we're already pretty deep in the weeds of fiction here, let's speculate a bit. There were, certainly, French pirates operating along the eastern coast of Africa in the year 1699, but there weren't a lot. You know, most French pirates in the region were sailing south to round the Cape, to head over to Reunion Island where they were going to do pirate stuff in the Red Sea. But there is one pirate ship that we've seen before that almost certainly would have been in the region at just about this time. Captain Louis Guittard, who we spent several weeks talking about, was a French pirate. He was initially the captain of a brigantine before he captured his more famous ship, La Paz but he kept that brigantine in his fleet. And then he captured the Baltimore, which he added to his fleet. Now, we know that La Paz was eventually taken in battle, but the other two ships, that brigantine and the Baltimore, weren't there. We know that the Baltimore stuck around the Chesapeake region and occasionally headed up to New England, but we lose track of that brigantine in history. It just disappears. Now, of course, it's... Probable that the ship was lost at sea or the pirates just abandoned her at some point, but it's possible that after what happened to Pas, they fled. They sailed across the Atlantic Ocean for greener pastures in the Indian Ocean. If so, that would put the Brigantine around the coast of Guinea at about the same time that John Bowen and Thomas White were there. But, of course, there were other similarities between the pirates that had formerly sailed under Louis Guitar and these French pirates who captured Bowen and White. We know that Louis Guitar and his men enjoyed a good bit of torture. It was a fun time. The same can be said, though, of these French pirates. Johnson continues, "...take notice of their barbarity to the English prisoners." They would set them up as a butt or mark to shoot at, several of whom were thus murdered in cool blood by way of diversion. Quote. He's saying that these pirates, you know, for a laugh, a good time, would set these men up and shoot them as target practice. They were terrified. They feared daily for their lives. At one point, Thomas White offended one of the Frenchmen and was marked for death but another one of the French pirates saved him. This Frenchman slept on deck with the prisoners, and he did so with Thomas White snugged between himself and the ship's rail. That thwarted this other pirate's intentions to kill him in the night. He was guarded all night long by this pirate's presence. Eventually, the French pirates rounded the Cape of Good Hope and entered the Indian Ocean. They made initially for Madagascar, where they planned to take on wood and water. However, according to Charles Johnson, the pirates were, quote, drunk and mad. So they ran ashore on the southern cape of Madagascar, near a place called Alessa. Now, I should mention here that there is another version of John Bowen's story. Instead of being captured by these French pirates and sailing alongside Thomas White, one version has him being captured by the pirates we started today's episode with. Robert Collie, Nathaniel North, George Booth, that crew. Now, the timing there is a little wonky, so that's not the version I believe. I'm going to stick with the story we've been telling, but keep in mind that is one version of the story. In the aftermath of their wreck on the beach, the French pirates were scurrying to get their ship freed. So Thomas White, John Bowen, and about a dozen other Englishmen stole the ship's longboat and escaped. They made their way to St. Augustine Bay, just to the west. But when they arrived, if they were expecting the pirate haven that would be called Libertalia, they didn't find it. There weren't any Englishmen there at all. Things had changed since just a few months earlier. When Commodore Warren delivered that act of grace, the King's pardon, the pirates mostly cleared out, and those few that were left were gathered around St. Mary's Island, up to the northeast. That trading post that had been run by Adam Baldridge previously was under the management of a man named Edward Quelch, but now that the monopoly of the Royal Africa Company had been broken— the profit motive for all of those pirate-adjacent merchants just wasn't there anymore. Baldridge had been a depot for supplies that the pirates needed, as well as luxury goods that the pirates wanted, as well as human beings intended for enslavement, and all of the pirated goods that were sold by the pirates to him. He was making a ton of money off of his operation, but now... Really, all Edward Quilch was doing was selling the pirates supplies. Wood, water, food, that kind of thing. Things that he could buy from the local Malagasy. If you wanted to fence your cargo to make a profit off of the goods you had stolen, you had to sail west. Usually, that meant Nassau, as we will see. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba casinos home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DgW you we're prohibited by law. see terms and conditions, 18 plus. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? the local Malagasy king there at St. Augustine Bay was happy to entertain the Englishman. He had a long history of friendship with English pirates. But he did tell them that when a ship stopped that was friendly to them, they would have to go with. They could not live here forever. Now, that was the case for most of the men, but not everyone. These English castaways stayed at St. Augustine Bay for fully 18 months, well into 1701. Some of the men in that time had married local women. They built homes and established farms and started having kids, and they stayed behind. But not Thomas White or John Bowen or a few of the others. While they were there, they lived mostly on the king's dime. But once a friendly ship happened along, they decided to leave. Eighteen months is no small time, though. You know, back in the mid-1690s, at the height of pirate activity on Madagascar, they would have been there maybe a couple of months. Now, a year and a half. When an English ship, a friendly English ship, finally did pass, it was a pirate. The captain was one William Reed. Now, you may remember that I mentioned William Reed as the pirate who could possibly have been Mary Reed's stepfather. The timing there is a little awkward, but it's possible that this William Reed was the man who married Mary's mother back in about 1685. Captain Reed accepted John Bowen, Thomas White, and the other newcomers with civility and grace. He was a polite man. He offered them a place on the crew if they wanted it, But if not, he would be happy to drop them off at home whenever his ship returned. They would have to work until then, but he wouldn't force them into piracy. But he was clear that was his business. His ship was the Alexander. Probably. Maybe. Things get a bit confusing here. At least, I'm confused by them. See, the Alexander was the name of another pirate ship in the region at the same time. Remember John James, that pirate with a golden toothpick who ravaged the Chesapeake? Well, his ship was also called the Alexander. So, what's going on here? There are differing accounts, but here's what I think happened. After the Alexander... Under Captain James, left the Chesapeake, she headed north to New York. There, John James harassed English shipping for a few weeks, and then Lord Bellamont returned to England. As soon as he arrived back home, he ordered a man of war to pursue this pirate and clear out his harbors. The Alexander, under John James, was forced to flee, and they had little to show for their time in New York. I think it's possible likely even, that John James was called to stand for election. And when the pirates voted, they voted in William Reed. Notably, they did not elect the quartermaster of the Alexander, Thomas Howard. Now, we're pretty sure that Thomas Howard was the quartermaster, but again, accounts differ here. Some would have Thomas Howard on an entirely different ship they would have him encountering John James at a later date. But I think that they were all on the same vessel, the Alexander, as it crossed the Atlantic into the Indian Ocean, which would put William Reed, John James, Thomas Howard, Thomas White, and John Bowen all on the Alexander in early 1701. That's the version we are going to work from. It's the version that Told by David F. Marley, Donald G. Chomet, and a few others who cover this era. Keep in mind, though, that some sources say otherwise. Captain Reed, though, regardless, needed more men in his crew. When he learned from John Bowen and Thomas White what had happened to those French pirates, he went looking for them. He needed men who knew this business. Now, White and Bowen objected. They knew that the French were violent, torturous sociopaths, so they didn't want to sail with them, but William Reed believed that he could keep them in line and he needed men to work the guns. But when they found the wreckage of that old French brigantine, there were no survivors. Apparently, the French were welcomed ashore by the Malagasy and then tried some of their ministrations on the locals, Torturing men, raping women, killing anyone they wanted to, this state of affairs did not last. The locals were more than happy to show the English who had just arrived the remains of the French. There were heads on spikes, a huge pile of bones, and some of the Malagasy had very fine French steel swords. William Reed took the hint and left. They headed north up the western coast of Madagascar, and along the way, Captain Reed picked up a few other English castaways. And I'm sorry to keep the story so confused here, but this is the point that it's possible if John James and his men weren't already sailing with Reed, it's here that they would have joined up. But again, I don't think that's what was happening. I think they were already on board. By this point, though, the Alexander had a crew of about 60 men, and they sailed their ship north to the Gulf of Persia. There, they captured a grab belonging to the Safavid Shah. A grab was a small but excellent ship for the region. It combined the hull design of an Arabic dhow with the square rigging of a European ship that made it almost perfect for a merchant craft in the Indian Ocean. Eventually, the Grab would be the most common type of ship used by the East India Company, but this one was a Persian ship. The pirates found on board bales and bales of cloth, probably mostly linen and calico, but there wasn't cargo that was worth very much. You know, no dyes, no spices, no silks so they decided to toss the cloth overboard. They looked for wine, which they didn't find, but they did find a few bags of silver, and then they left. They took the grab with them, though. They left the Persians in their longboats that would probably make it home, but what the pirates did not know was that the Safavid were in the habit of concealing their treasure within bales of relatively worthless cloth. The bales that they had thrown overboard were filled with silver and gold and rubies and diamonds and pearls and all sorts of extremely valuable treasure. Moreover, the Persians were able to fish most of it out of the water and carry it back home. So, you know, not their best day. But that grab, their new ship, was quite the prize. They took their new prize to Mayotte, an island northwest of Madagascar, They planned to careen the Alexander and outfit the Grab for piracy, but as it turned out, the Alexander was too worm-eaten to be seaworthy. They had to abandon her. They took the Alexander's masts and added them to the Grab. They transferred all of their guns and stripped the Grab of any unnecessary woodwork and made her a proper pirate ship. And then they prepared to sail, but... While they were careening their ships, much of the crew began to fall ill, including Captain William Reed. Captain Reed didn't last long. He died on Mayotte. And in his absence, the crew elected a Captain James to lead them. And that's the only name we've got here, Captain James. But I mean, that's got to be John James, right? The guy who had previously been the captain. It would be quite the coincidence to be otherwise, so that's what I'm going to be working with, but in the end, John James isn't going to be around for too much longer, so it really doesn't matter. The pirates bought a bunch of provisions, you know, water and meat from the local Muslim population, and also a boat of twelve oars that would serve as a supplementary ship for their little fleet. Under Captain James, the pirates headed out to sea, and a few days into the cruise, They spotted sails. The pirates closed in, and one of them spotted a French flag. So they raised their own false flag, sailed in closer, and hailed the stranger. Captain James said, From whence are you come? And the reply came back, From the sea. These were pirates. So the three ships came in close to get to know one another. Turns out the captain of this new ship was a man named George Booth. Now, last we saw him, George Booth was the gunner on board the Pelican in 1696, but in the intervening five years or so, quite a bit had changed. Next time, we're going to bring the Pirates of the Pelican up to date into 1701, and then we'll consolidate all the Pirates left in the Indian Ocean, into a force that would threaten the peace that had been built between England, France, the East India Company, and Mughal India. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank everybody who helps to support the show. All of our patrons on Patreon, everybody who has left us ratings and reviews, and everybody who has recommended this show. You all make it possible, so thank you. The Pirate History Podcast is a member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out some of their other fine shows, like Grey History, you can do so at airwavemedia.com. Our theme music was, as always, The Old Captain by the fantastic band Brillig. If you'd like to check them out, you can find them on YouTube, Facebook, Bandcamp, or anywhere fine music is found. As always, most importantly, thank you for listening.